This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. Right now, our listeners can get a trial with unlimited access for free if they go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably Science. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. And, uh, uh, yeah, we thanks for bearing with the... Uh, the curious tech issues from last week we had yeah we had some things going on we we jumped between a couple of different software options um we finally found one that sort of worked but we all sounded a bit robotic and andy sounded bizarrely butch I, it, by the way if, if that happens again i'm putting this on you for not being attuned <laughs> enough to what i normally sound like to point it out as it's happening yeah I it's can't not like i haven't been listening live. to your voice for almost a decade right, now right. <laughs> it's just like what is that i guess that's how andy sounds like i don't know the desert has changed me, Matt. <laughs> it really has. Yeah, I'm the most... Also, to be fair, you were talking to two other people who also know your voice. I, that's why I'm worried that maybe sometimes even they don't... Uh, something behind the scenes happens and it's not the version that everyone's hearing. I don't know. This, yeah, uh, if you're tuning in for the recording. first time or you didn't hear last week's episode, Andy was pitched down by about, I don't know, half an octave? Sure. That's, an octave, that's, maybe? I don't know. It that was... sounds about right. Enough that it was strange. Enough that it was like a little witness protection-y. <laughs> was a bit yeah that's andy's now living out in the desert and his his exact whereabouts are unknown oh yeah by the way i have a tony update my neighbor tony but we should we should bring our guest in first. we should bring okay. yeah let, let's bring our guest in our guest is him, himself an experienced podcaster and also a comedian improviser writer a sketch performer a former mad tv cast member former boom chicago troop member it's dan oster hey guys um, Thanks for joining hey, us. Hey, Dan, I only met, I mentioned Boom Chicago just because I crossed paths with him a bunch of times back in the day, and then you guys are everywhere now. Like, it's just the tendrils of that one smallish Amsterdam-based improv group are, a, like, stretch all the way through TV these days. And Yeah, film. I always like to say, like, uh, you know, I attended Boom Chicago, which has famous alumni like Jordan Peele and... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Seth Seth and, and, and Dan Oster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there have been a lot of uh, amazing people that have passed through there for sure. Yeah, and the- Seth, Seth Meyers, friend of the show, Lauren Flans, is a boom Chicagoan. Is the boom part sort of like a, um, um, uh, a cool time American word? It's like <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the Dutch would be like, hey, you're with the boom, boom, Chicago boom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think when they were creating the theater back in like the late 90s, they just were trying to come up with something that sounded dynamic. And they were from Chicago. So they were like, boom, Chicago. Okay. But the funny thing is, uh, boom in Dutch means tree. So it's not quite <laughs> as dynamic as maybe they would have hoped. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It, 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 like, did you ever do Edinburgh with them? Because that was the first time I, well, the second time I encountered them. My friend Rachel was uh, worked as a as a waitress, and so I, I went to visit her in Amsterdam when I was like, nineteen or something. And she was she was there, uh, and that was when like Seth Meyers and his brother were still in the group. Oh, cool. Um, you might have been. Were you there then? Did I, you... Not when they were in the group, but I will say that uh, I did do a gig at the Edinburgh Festival not long after I arrived in 2005, and I, I was very young. That was a long time ago, and I feel like I was still very tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I napped through most of the Edinburgh Festival. That's if anyone's wondering how cool I am. I went to like the premier, you know, arts uh, festival in Europe and, and slept through most of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, if uh, if it's any consolation, I went to the Alhambra, one of the greatest uh, works of architecture and design in the world, and I slept in the car park. Okay, great. Yeah, so it was towards spirit. the tail end of a long Spanish road trip, and I just missed it. My friends went inside, and I just went, I'm going to sleep this one out. Yeah, well, I think that's just self-care, and that's healthy. <laughs> it's, um, Where is the Alhambra again? I've, I don't know much about that. It's, uh, it's, I think it's the name of more venues in America than, like, I more, I more think of it as all the things that are named for it than the actual thing. Um, it's is somewhere like southern Spain. I'm thinking around Seville, but I could be wrong. It's oh, Granada, Alhambra, and I think like you know Bueno Park or something because there's an Alhambra in California. Right, right. But it is not kind of uh, the same. Yeah, um, the Arcadia Festival. <laughs> it looks like a good place to visit. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It is, and I 
I have driven there, and I am as familiar with the inside of it as you are from having seen a few pictures online. <laughs> but sure it's, it in, very it's in the car. south of Spain. So if you ever find yourself in the south of Spain, I recommend going inside rather than just napping in your friend Simon's yeah. parents' Fiat. I don't know. I think the car parks in Spain are lovely. They are. It was, it was very nice. It was a very nice day to have a nap. But yeah, I probably, probably should have gone in. Um, hey, Dan. And- uh, oh, you sorry. You, before we get into the science stuff, so Andy has a Andy has moved out at least temporarily, possibly permanently, to the desert and has we'll a see. curious neighbor. And we we're about to get a an update, I think. On oh, yeah. So I, I live next door to a self proclaimed ninja who says that he he, tra- <laughs> he trains the nearby military from the Twenty Nine Palms base, just a little east of us. Um, and he lives with eleven dogs and uh, Tom Clancy's widow, who he's paid to take care of. This is his his story. Um, says, yes, Nancy, Nancy Clancy is who I live no. with. No, and I looked no. it up. I, mean, I feel bad I even looked it up because obviously it was bullshit. But you know, a quick Wikipedia shows you Tom Clancy never married a woman named Nancy because you wouldn't do that. Um, and so, but I have met her, so she does exist. And then he asked me to pay some bills for him, and um, he doesn't have a credit card, so he brought over cash and the bill. The bill was in the name Nancy Clancy. So there's some truth, there are kernels of truth to these stories. He also claims he's killed two people with their own Yeah, guns. you've met them like, both at the same time, or is it possible that he's just wearing a wig? I, <laughs> I hate to admit this to listeners, but like here in San Bernardino County, things are getting more lax. Um, I, I, they don't have a car. I gave them a ride to a credit union yesterday. We all wore masks. Nancy, who was in her 80s and nearly deaf, sat in the back seat while Tony talked to her, and she didn't respond because she can't hear him it's the strangest <laughs> dynamic um but uh he said that that uh, right now he's he's mo- he's thinking about moving to utah he says he's going to move to utah in the next month or two and he, sh- he sent me the link to this uh compound that's like this seven thousand square foot thing he's going to turn it into like a ufc fighting and training compound and <laughs> he's just got all these pie it's like talking to a 14 year old who's just sketched his dream house in like his notebook oh, and no. <laughs> Um, like I'm like, shouldn't you first worry about like getting a bank account and and a card with which to pay your bills? You don't have to bring <laughs> over stacks of cash to me and have me pay them. And his phone right now only works for text; he can't do voice. So I'm like, well, how could you have the money for a house? But he says, oh, I've got money. Don't worry, I've got money. I, I, just between you and me. I'm like, what does that mean? Why don't yeah. you use the money? I, I've bought. He's I, under government contract. You can't. Yeah, that. yeah. So um, I hate to like. If this actually happens, and I've said it on the podcast, I'm a monster. But he said, because he has no phone right now, if I hear gunshots, I should call the police. Which is like, that's what I do anyway when I hear gunshots. <laughs> yeah. But he says the neighbors are trying to kill him to get they – have, they have tricked Nancy into signing some kind of like deed where like when she dies, it goes to them. So now they just have to get Tony out of the way. This is all Tony's story. But he doesn't have a phone right now with, with calling ability. I'm like, if you thought there's someone who's going to murder you, pony up the extra five a month to boost mobile or whatever and get the voice plan. But um, yeah, if you hear also, gunshots, on, I have to get I, off the call to call the police so that Tony doesn't get killed, so that Nancy Clancy's house doesn't get stolen by shady neighbors, is the story. Also, I could be wrong about this, but I am fairly sure that even if your phone has run out of voice minutes, 911 still works. That's a very, you know, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, I was going to say, I'm going to call and tell him that. I'm going to text him and tell him that. <laughs> I literally, it's funny, that sounds like the accurate description of what. 911 does. I heard somebody literally yesterday overheard them saying like, yeah, if you can't get reception, you can still dial 911. And I was thinking like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, like down in the Marianas Trench, you could still just Yeah, you like, can still call 911. James I, Cameron in his little submersible could still get <laughs> the message up to the surface. Um, but I, then I thought like, well, maybe it's not like you can use any um, any frequency or whatever it is, any any uh, network, rather. You know what I mean? Like, maybe if you're on Sprint, you can still use, like, AT&T. Or, right, I don't know. right. Maybe that's a deal. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But the fact that yeah, there's some I think there is network. that. I think it will jump across. And also, I think I might have added an S to Mariana Trench that I could have passed off as an artifact in the audio, but I'm too honest <laughs> for that. <laughs> it belongs to Mariana. It's Mariana's yeah. Trench. Yeah. Mariana's Trench. <laughs> you know, who? It's like a bomb and pop trench. <laughs> Whose trench is this? Anyone see the trench? <laughs> Someone leave this trench. We'll just put a... <laughs> uh, who ate Mariana's lunch? <laughs> it was clearly labeled <laughs> in the fridge. She's got one of those label makers. You can just print out on the fly. She's down in the submersible just trying desperately to get it to stick to the bottom. 
<laughs> I like the idea of an oceanic roadside attraction, just like a mom and pop, like a in Northern California, one of those like Bigfoot souvenir yeah. shops. Do we have oh, time? Yeah. Do we have time to stop at Mariana's Trench? Oh, yeah. we gotta get to Japan by lunch. Oh. You know they've got the world's deepest trench in this town. <laughs> oh, Mariana! I prefer to go to Mariana's mystery spot. <laughs> Water flows uphill in the trench. <laughs> have any of us been to a mystery spot before? I've never been to one. I've never been to one. No, no, I haven't either. Oh, that's a real. That's a real. Isn't there uh, one near Portland? There's a, maybe you're thinking of, there's like a mom and pop Disneyland, like a, a poor man's like, if, if Walt Disney had like $50,000 at his disposal, what he would have built. <laughs> it's full of like, um, just generic, not even public domain, because no one ever wrote them, just like gnomes that don't have names, like just things like that, magical things that they don't have to license. And have I think I, one little, I haven't been to it, but. Have I ever told you um, on this podcast, I feel I have back in the day about my my sister's one season in a pantomime. No, yeah, I forgot what the British meaning of pantomime is. <laughs> so, yeah, I was so, like, in a in a pantomime. You went. <laughs> uh, yeah, I should, yeah. You it, pantomime in, Brit- in America just means acting something out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a pantomime in the UK, and I think Australia has them too, and I'm pretty sure Ireland would. Um, is a show. Uh, they they normally it's a family show that has its um. Its roots stretch back to like Commedia dell'arte and uh, various ancient or various older theatre forms. It has all these conventions that have grown up over the years, um, like different types of audience interaction, call and response stuff. And there's always tropes of like, Mm -hmm. there's the pantomime dame, which everyone every show has, which is one or maybe two guys in drag. Um, Okay, there's a lot of cross dressing going on. The 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 lead boy in the show is always played by some hot and normally semi-famous uh, woman huh like normally it stars like a few people of like b to d list celebrities generally as well nowadays I've, i do use the term panto because that's what i've heard that yes yeah panto is okay. the the, sh- the short version of that and they they're nearly always they're there's a bunch of classic stories that they use, and they're often based. They're generally based on fairy tales. There's a few sort of standard ones. They get rewritten each year and updated, but you know they 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 do Aladdin or uh, Puss in Boots or Sleeping Beauty or Snow White. And, and would, the, would the local people write their own rendition of Snow White? Yeah. So every every regional theater and a bunch of like the bigger theaters as well, they have pantomime every December. Like that's what is in that theater and it's also the biggest like that basically subsidizes the rest of the year for that theater um you know and the season will run for about a month and change it'll start maybe uh it'll start maybe like early december maybe even a bit earlier and it'll run through just past christmas um and people people enjoy this unironically People, yeah, people <laughs> sorry, both sorry. ironically and unironically enjoy this. Yeah, it's like, it's a whole, it's a family show. You know, it's a whole family right, show. Right. There's, there's always audience interaction. Kids get brought up on stage. There's, you know, it, there's various, like, there's this, like, chase scenes and a bunch of call and response standard things. And it's just, just anyway, yeah. So every, every theater will commission a new one each year and it updates, it adds new songs. Normally they put some modern songs in there and then some classic songs and so you know sing-along moments and it's a whole thing okay and my sister was in one in the late 80s uh it was snow white and the seven dwarves but here's the thing they could afford neither um adult little people to be in the show because it's christmas and that's prime time and prime money for those actors uh, nor could they afford um, apparently the names of the seven dwarves the story Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is traditional it dates back years I don't yes, know who yes I, I do know where you're going with this yeah yeah I don't know who originally wrote it uh, in, whether it was like a Hans Christian Andersen or Brothers Grimm or whatever or even older but the story dates back years um, the seven dwarf names I think you Dan's ahead of me at least um, <laughs> are were invented were created for the Disney film and are right. copyrights uh... of Disney there's a whole bunch. Uh, I'm just pulling this up now. There's a whole bunch of different names that have been used over the years. Uh, the famous one is from the Disney film. You know, Dopey, Doc, Bashful, Happy, Grumpy, Sleepy, Sneezy. I hope we can say that on your podcast. But like, <laughs> there's a bunch of weird ones. Like, uh, there's a 1912 
play here that used blick, flick, glick, plick, gwee, <laughs> or sorry, quee, snick, and then wick. So that's just to mix it up. There's a quee thrown in there. So there's a bunch of weird ones. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, here we go. It was it was the Brothers Grimm. And it's always the Brothers Grimm and not the Grimm Brothers. Yeah. How do you become Brothers Blank instead of Blank Brothers? That's... I don't know. Right yeah. Enough. Why don't we say like the siblings Wachowski? Right. <laughs> I mean, we can, starting now, we just did. I, I think we should start doing it. <laughs> yeah, the Brothers Lucas, the Brothers, Brothers Sklar. Yeah, the Brothers Sklar. They should, they should call an album that. That's <laughs> The Brothers Sklar. Um, yeah, who are the guys who... Um, oh, God, who are the guys who started directing TV comedies and now do all the Avengers and Marvel films? Oh, yeah, I, remember, um, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember right now. Um, yeah. Did they work on Community, or am I thinking of Yeah, yeah, else? they did Community, Arrested Development, a bunch of stuff. I can't think of it, yeah. I am now going to be like your research assistant and type it <laughs> and get it. You oh, know what no, should really be the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't. I didn't type it in right. Never mind. <laughs> the Brothers Ringling and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Would that Russo. actually fits? Sorry. Brothers Russo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Avengers Endgame directors. Here we go. Russo. It, Russo. Oh, the Russos. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Joe and Anthony Russo. Um, you were too deep in your research to hear that we <laughs> had gotten there. Uh, yeah, I apologize. Um, so yeah, what they had for this pantomime that my sister was in was my sister and six other girls aged between about eight and twelve, wearing fake beards and a wig, and they gave them all names that was close but not exactly the Disney <laughs> film, <laughs> like narcoleptic. Yeah, like, yeah. Che- yeah. cheery and upset and uh, upset. I like the name yeah. upset. The virus. <laughs> Surgeon. <laughs> I think if my name was upset, you would know why I was upset. <laughs> it wouldn't be a mystery. Yeah. Infected. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what else is there? Wait, who's infected? Sneezy. Oh, that's right. I forgot there was one whose whole thing was just that he sneezed. Yeah. It's more horrifying these days than it was back in the day. Yeah, really. It's like sneezing is not an emotional state. I mean... <laughs> Come on. Well, then, Doc, I mean, Doc is the one that I always think is like, what was it? What was his deal? Did he like flunk out of dwarf medical school or something? And they keep razzing him about it. Oh, it's like a sarcastic, like calling the yeah. big guy tiny or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, hey, Doc. Doc. <laughs> Shut up. I was thinking, is the equivalent thing true for reindeer? I'm assuming that the main eight reindeer were created for that. Uh, um, what's the fucking night before Christmas? It's not called that, but night before Christmas. And then. Rudolph was created for the song Rudolph, and those are both within the last 75, 200 yeah, years. Yeah, I think right? you might be right. They might be copyrighted. Um, uh, they're we, real? We are getting quite a way away <laughs> That's from... That's right. That's true. Science. So let, uh, I was about to ask Dan before we got into our stories. We, we like to ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that has ranged from a class you liked or hated as a kid to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends to uh, taking a class, a compulsory class at college or whatever. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think when I was about 11 or 12, I started to discover my own anatomy. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's a science. <laughs> that's a science. And, uh, you know, a lifelong fascination with it that has never waned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yet, will the Nobel Committee recognize your work? <laughs> I know, it's rigged. The whole thing's rigged, you guys. It's all politics. <laughs> Near daily experimentation for decades and nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that the element of science that I am interested in right now is, um, and I never would have been this guy, but for about a year ago when I started dealing with some chronic pain issues, but I have become really interested in mind-body stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. And the way, yeah, and just modern pain science, uh, which is, it's kind of amazing how far along we aren't with that stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you need only look back about 10 years to the opioid crisis in this country to realize that we don't really know what we're doing when it comes to treating pain. In fact, a lot of times we're just making it worse. And so with just, uh, you know, my hand was forced. I've I've had to kind of go down this path. But, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, pain originates in the brain. It's a danger signal. And so your attitudes and your beliefs about what's happening to you uh, directly affect the level of pain that you're in because your body's trying to protect you. So there's, I could go on and on. We could do a whole episode on that if I wasn't careful. But it's, uh, it's really interesting stuff. And at the end of the day, a lot, if not uh, 
most chronic pain can be treated psychologically, which is really interesting. That is interesting. As someone who has broken his toe three days ago, that's also doubly Ooh. interesting. Mm, yes. I, uh, yeah. that is, that's definitely uh, an acute structural problem, and the good news is that that should cycle out and you should be fine. But the reason your toe hurts is so that you don't walk on it, right? That is exactly it. Uh, by the way, uh, shout out to and thanks again to uh, listener and person I've met in the past. And uh, uh, Distracted Dan is his Twitter handle, but Dan oh. is also a chiropodist, podiatrist, as you call it, who has who advised me the previous time I broke a different toe. <laughs> uh, this time I actually went and got an x-ray and went to a pro, and it's now strapped up professionally and is hurting less. But thanks right. for persuading me to do that, Dan, and braving the coronavirus fears and sitting there. <laughs> um, well, if I, you know, if, if we can move on past this, because, I, again, I don't want to hog the mic on this issue, but if there's any of your listeners out there that might be dealing with uh, a chronic pain issue, may have even found that in their life they've had a series of, of pain issues that or weird symptoms have sort of moved around their body that's always a good indicator that you've got kind of this this the, uh, the term that gets used sometimes is tms uh dr john sarno kind of pioneered this whole field he's sort of the freud of the mind body thing but anyway if you know if you have something that you've been dealing with and you're not really sure where to look uh one of the places i recommend consulting is a place called the pain psychology center uh they do um you know skype calls and stuff like that uh they're fantastic and they are uh they really know this stuff so that's really interesting doing a free plug for them no that's that's very cool yeah because sort of pain does pain follow you around the body for a couple of reasons because also like i know i've had some back problems in the past and one of the things that happens with that is the pain moves around your body because as one bit of you hurts, you sort of tense that part and then you overcompensate on another. And then as that bit starts to ease up, the damage you've done to the next bit, it sort of just chases it around the body. Well, that's a very you know structural interpretation of it, which may well be the case. Um, the interesting thing is that I... I really do believe that everybody at some point in their life experiences pain or or other strange symptoms as a result of stress, essentially. And, you know, it works itself out and you move on and you don't really think about it. Maybe you blame like, you know, an injury you had like a month ago or something. And like, why would it hurt a month later? But you just do that. So it makes sense to you. Um, What can happen is it can kind of get stuck in a self-reinforcing loop. Uh, What drives pain really is fear of symptoms a lot of the time or other stresses in your life and what can happen is it kind of gets stuck and your brain is actually driving these sensations it's all downstream it's all coming from your brain and has nothing to do with what's there anymore there may have been an injury at some point so it can actually just be on this uh, this loop and really the the trick is breaking that cycle um if it's moving around your body that's a pretty great indicator that it's not structural you know right right so right now, are you pain-free or no. whatever you first thought? <laughs> I am not pain-free right you now. You're in a I'm better place from when the journey started, though? Well, yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in process. You know, this has been a long journey for me. I'm certainly doing a lot better. I wouldn't have been doing this podcast just uh, you know, a few months ago, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, one of the things, and really this is the, one of the biggest mind fucks of the whole process, is you don't really gauge your progress um, by symptom reduction. I know that sounds a little insane. Mm-hmm. Um, you do get symptom relief. You do get these windows and you do sort of in the, if you take a large enough sample of your, of your life, you see like, I am doing so much better. Right. But because it's not physical in nature, it can go up and down. It can flare up. You can feel good one moment, terrible the next, and then good again. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you're letting the symptoms be the indicator, you're sort of letting the terrorists win. You're letting this thing that's actually not a good indicator of how you're doing dominate how you're feeling. And it kind of keeps you trapped in this cycle. And you end up having to fight millions of years of evolution and feel pain without fear i mean pain wants you to be in fear that's the whole point of it it's to to warn you and so you learn to like be in pain and kind of go about your day and that ultimately kind of cycles it out so i'm not done you're getting me definitely when i'm in the middle of something but i am a believer and it's taken me a long time to get to the point where i was even willing to accept it you know i went down a lot of medical paths um that did not help so those they haven't had any surgery for anything yet or uh you know i I, i've had i've had some doctors take a few pieces out of me (laughs) (laughs) and stuff nothing too uh drastic but but there are people with you know back pain and stuff like that that get like fusion and all these things i would just say like if you don't have something that's life-threatening if you've ruled out life-threatening stuff i really encourage people to go down this path initially before you start you know doing more drastic things you can 
still recover even with that. Honestly, there's no reason that surgery should prevent you from being able to recover, but it's a lot to go through. Yeah, I, I did that last year. I had a discectomy after, like, 2019 was the worst oh. of, of my years. I mean, 2020 is giving it a run for, the, for its money, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Well, this is really interesting. If you don't mind me, Andy, uh, probing that a little bit. So you had some back pain. Yeah, and it was really unique in that it was. Uh, it started, I think, two years earlier. I started to feel some toes go numb, and I thought it was something to do with shoes I was wearing, but um, okay. that was probably the first that the disc was bulging on that nerve. And then um, I... There was like a week-long period where I'd started to hurt it, and it was hurting a lot that week. And then at the end of that week, I bent over to pick up a piece of paper too quickly, and I felt the the sploosh. You know, I felt like this very clear thing had just broken, mm-hmm. and that would have been that disc rupturing. And I guess you know, the sort of it's like a sort of a jelly donut situation, that jelly squirting out and then pushing instantly on that and incessantly on that sciatic nerve. So then it was just. March until August of last year was just constant pain of varying degrees. And mm-hmm. then, you know, trying every, I, a few days before I actually splooshed it, I went to a chiropractor for the first time ever, which I've never done. And I will never again, that might've even like hastened the uh, rupture of that. But yeah, I, I have a friend who's a, who's a good neurosurgeon back in Michigan, a friend of the family. And um, he was saying only 5% of cases of, of, disc-related problems require surgery. So I was like, well, I couldn't be in that five, right? And then, you know, seeing the MRI and just having no no improvement in my situation, I eventually talked to a surgeon and, and had it. It was good. The recovery hasn't been great either, but it's definitely Andy, a lot better. this is so interesting to me. I'm sorry. This is fascinating. This is like yeah, a textbook uh, case of kind of the stuff that I run into. I mean, back pain, uh, MRIs, all of this stuff. I mean, I don't really, you know, if you're doing well or you're satisfied with how you're doing, then I, my policy is to like shut up and be like, that's so good. Well, I, the, <laughs> and, the difference and excuse is, myself. So I'm was really just, curious how you're doing. <laughs> I'm doing a lot better. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, if it were just pain, then it might be a different conversation. But the reason the surgeon agreed to do it was the combination of pain, numbness, and weakness. Mm-hmm. So it's pushing on the nerve that also powered that leg. So I was limping also for that whole time. Like yeah, my left okay. leg was just, I could do, I could do, I could lift up on my right foot on the toe like 50 times. But my left foot, I can do it like once or twice. Mm-hmm. So that, okay. you know, wasn't going to, maybe it would have repaired itself eventually. But um, so as soon as I came to, it was outpatient surgery. As soon as I came to, I could stand up on, I could, you know, bounce up and down on my left toe instantly, like okay. an unkinked a hose in that regard. So then it was just an issue of, of pain. The doctor was like, the strength I guarantee is coming back. The numbness is like 50, 50, the pain, who knows, but like, so it's all, it's different targets you're aiming at, but, um, interesting. The, came interesting. Back and the pain is definitely better, but there are days that aren't great. So, okay. Well, uh, you know, I, I'm no expert, and I'm not going to pretend to be one. Uh, so, you know, it sounds like you've gotten some relief and recovery out of this, which is great. Yeah, I'm glad um, I did it, definitely. Yeah. And I would, you know, say that if there's lingering uh, pain that's bothering you, uh, you know, there are resources that I think can actually address that, even if the even if the pain, you know, has a, a structural cause. Um, so uh, there, there's interesting things where, and I'm not sure if you've encountered this, but like, where people have MRIs and they have, their discs are just like ridiculous and they have no pain. And then there's people that have pain and their discs are fine. You know what I it's mean? Crazy. So there's, there, there's these interesting cases of all that kind of stuff. Now this may be an instance where there genuinely was a structural issue that had to be resolved. But I think a lot of times people kind of, uh, believe that there's a problem and it, and it perpetuates. It's really interesting, but I can't speak yeah. to your case cause I'm, I don't know anything about it. No, I, I think you, you told me with, with just pain. I think you're right. When it comes to the strength thing, like it was definitely like, an hour later, I could suddenly do this sure. thing I couldn't do. So I think that's purely like a that mechanical. That is interesting. I will say thing, that definitely. You know? I mean, you know, if it was <laughs> if it wasn't structural, it would be like an amazing placebo effect. But I <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, yeah that is really interesting. Anyway, I don't want to um, I don't want to shove it down your throat. I think no, no, I, I don't. I'm not a disbeliever in what you're saying because I had surgery. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think those two things are opposing each other. Right. And it's also, it's so easy to fall into a trap that I think people, you probably encounter this all the time on a science podcast where people uh, get absolutist. It's all this, it's all right, that. Right, right. And I think that's a mistake as well. Uh, you know, usually I think the solutions to a lot of these chronic pain problems end up being sort of uh, multidisciplined. And Definitely. Very right. I, yeah, I think I agree with you on that. Like the problem does lie in when one camp is just like no there's no psychological basis to it at all and then another camp sort of goes the other way and goes like no pain is all in your head and and 
there is nothing physical behind it and your pain isn't real and they're just sort of dismissing people's real symptoms and chronic pain is like no this is a real thing and they interact in different ways and one can influence the other but uh yeah it, it isn't either pole yeah and it's it's interesting because the medical community has been slow to recognize a lot of this uh the the brain's impact and, and the attitudes and beliefs and, and mind body work because it's a hard thing to um to, to, to demonstrate, you know, it's a hard yeah. thing to, to get quantifiable data. They're doing it now with fMRIs and stuff. They are getting studies where they can actually like show people's amygdalas where their fear is like, you know, through the roof. And then after like four weeks of work, it's come way down and their pain's gone. My feeling is, you know, when someone says they're out of pain, believe them, they know. <laughs> right, right. They can tell you. But it is a hard thing to measure. And so I think we're slow to, in, in Western science, we're slow to, um, to adopt it. But I think there is a big shift moving in that direction. And I think it uh, definitely has a place, at least, in the treatment of pain. Uh, well, while we're talking about home treatments, two different people sent in this story. Uh, by Twitter. As a, we haven't had a few tweet stories in a while, but this was tweeted in by both uh, listener Alien DNA, uh, who is whose Twitter name and handle are both Alien DNA, <laughs> and then also my friend Helen, who's also our uh, go-to anesthetist. Both sent in this story about. I I don't know how how newsworthy this story would be if it weren't for the fact that one of the people involved is also a porn performer, uh, but. <laughs> I'll give you a link to there's a Guardian article and a uh, BBC News article. I'll put a link to the BBC one in the uh, shared chat there, so you can both look sure. at it as well. But Ponster Nacho Vidal held in Spain after man dies in toad venom ritual. Oh my god, I'm embarrassed to admit I know who this guy is. <laughs> um, from doing toad rituals with him? Uh, yes, I've done a lot of toad rituals, man. <laughs> it's... A, he's a Spanish porn actor, but I believe he's based in North America for the most part. And uh, he died. A, a, a photographer friend of his, or at least photographer associate of his, died after inhaling the poison of an endangered North Amer- North American toad. Mm, you know that is a leading cause of death for Spanish porn stars. <laughs> yeah, the um, the mystic ritual reportedly took place at Mr. Vidal's home near the southern city of Valencia. Oh, so this was in Spain. My apologies. Near Alhambra. It is. It's not too far. Um, <laughs> Valencia, yeah. another fine Californian town, too. <laughs> yeah, really. That's where, I believe that's where Six Flags Magic Mountain is. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's where Paul Walker died. All right, people. Is it? <laughs> okay, okay. Make heaven drift. Yeah. It, didn't he die across the street from um, Magic Mountain? Did in the parking, oh, wow. in the parking I lot? I, I didn't know that's where. I think his friend had a new Porsche he wanted to take him out, and they spun around in a parking lot like near Magic Mountain. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Uh, I, oh, uh, Valencia. I searched for like how far it is from the Alhambra to Valencia, and it gave me the distance from California. Magic Mountain to Alhambra, California. <laughs> so let, let's try that again, putting the word Spain in there. It's not as close as I thought. I guess the Valencia was a day and a half later on the road trip. It's five hours up the road. Okay. Which is a fair distance for Spain. A good um, place to have a toad ceremony, though. It is a very good place to have a toad ceremony. So this... Yeah, it's a mystic ritual, but they put mystic ritual in quotes, in a, as if they don't believe that it is itself a mystic ritual. <laughs> How it's, insulting. Yeah, sly, you, sly BBC reporters, you. <laughs> um, but it's, the, a lawyer for Mr. Vidal says his client considers himself to be innocent, describing the de- death as an unfortunate accident. The photographer was named as uh, Jose Luis Abad. Uh, by the Spanish media, used a pipe to inhale the substance which is secreted from the glands of the Bufo alvarius. The toad, known as also as the Colorado River toad, uses the powerful toxin to defend itself against predators in Mexico and southwestern U.S. states where it is found in the Sonoran Desert. Known by chemicals as 5-MeO-DMT. Okay, so I guess it's close to DMT, in the, which was discussed quite a bit in the Shane Moss episode, or one of the Shane Moss episodes of this show. Um, and it's said to induce an intense psychedelic state when consumed by users, earning it the nickname the God Molecule. So is that actually, is 5-MeO-DMT what people mean by DMT, or are there different forms of DMT? That is a good question for Shane Moss. Because I'm pretty sure the DMT that Shane is fond of doesn't come from toads. I think it comes from some kind of seed, but... Uh, According to Wikipedia, it's a close relative of DMT. Okay, there we go. 
A study from tw- 2019 suggested the substance may have th- therapeutic properties such as easing anxiety and depression, but acknowledged there was a limited understanding of its effect in humans. Mr. Vidal has previously promoted the use of the toad's venom online, including in YouTube videos. Mm. Um, and he's, I, don't know, you know, I don't know how much you want to trust, uh, not to knock the porn star name cliche, but Nacho Vidal. It's, uh, he's, he's no soft pretzel Sassoon, I'll say yeah. that, for Nacho Vidal. <laughs> it's... Um, so he and two other suspects were arrested on suspicion of manslaughter and violating public health laws. And they discovered toad rituals were being carried out regularly on grounds that they offered medicinal benefits. But apparently, the, but the apparently harmless ancestral ritual posed, quote, a serious health risk attracting people who were, again, quote, this is quoting the police statement, easily influenced, vulnerable, or who, who are seeking health for illnesses or addictions using alternative methods. Here's the thing, though. I did not... This is the first time I've ever heard of a death related to, to DMT. I know this isn't DOT, this is a related chemical. Right. But Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't either, but I, I, this, this reeks to me of, of the problem where people think that anything natural is inherently good. Like, oh, the, nature has created tons of great toxins, like great things right, that can right. kill you. Well, in this case, cyanide. Yeah. Nature's candy. <laughs> um, but, but still, as a general rule... Often the sort of psychedelic and hallucinogenic drugs tend to have low fatality rates. Yes, I know, but I think the issue. I know more some th- of the mushrooms cause a sort of um, uh, stomach rejection effect, a, po- a toxic effect. But but I almost I'm putting myself in the heads of people I can't I shouldn't. But whatever, I'm going to do that. I'm imagining someone being like, "Well, I could take this DMT that some." chemist made it's full of chemicals or it could take this thing that occurred naturally in a poisonous toad you know <laughs> right, like, right right well my question is did he say the incantation correctly that's maybe the that's issue. the problem yeah. right clatu veratum necktie <laughs> yeah noodle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah what's um i i guess what what's the uh weirdest animal secretion you guys have smoked <laughs> <laughs> Or in any other way consumed. <laughs> the weirdest? Hmm. There was a rumor when I was in college, maybe it's still around. I should just, this is Googleable. But um, is it true nutmeg in large enough quantities has hallucinogenic properties? I think that rumor has existed forever. And I okay. don't know anyone who successfully got high from nutmeg. <laughs> yeah, we, a lot we didn't, of eggnog, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> in college, people would like talk about doing it. But then like we'd, I, also, I went to college when the internet existed. I could have Googled this, but... Um, we all just like got so scared of the idea of it that we didn't attempt it. It's like we were waiting for someone to just take like, you know, two teaspoons, two tablespoons full of nutmeg and see what happens. Yeah. But no one ABC ever did it. ABC News: so. Nutmeg treated as drug for hallucinogenic high. Oh, it does. Oh. Okay, it contains myristicin, a natural compound that has mind-altering effects if ingested in large doses. I knew there the was buzz a can last one, one nutmeg. Yeah, the buzz can last one or two, one to two days and can be hallucinogenic, much like LSD. Wait, huh. one to two days sounds like not a good amount of time to be tripping? I... <laughs> yeah, that does sound like... I mean, it, I guess that's that's why it's a real student or high school drug, because... Yeah. Again, none of us did it. We just talked about it and yeah. tried to... I knew a kid uh, in my neighborhood who died of nutmeg poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> he was neighbors with the kid who had the Pop Rocks in the coat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, here's this ABC News article. It starts with... And again, it's written like it is a a news bulletin, even though it's ABC News text version. A sprinkle of nutmeg and eggnog, or a pinch in apple pie, can add the perfect punch to a holiday dessert. But winter's favorite spice has also made headlines as an unconventional way of getting high. It's called a nutmeg high. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like... That's what the street name is. Textbook local news copy. (laughs) They call it a nutmeg high. We'll pass first, show the ba- the good side of something. But there's also a bad side. <laughs> Is there something in your kitchen cupboard that could kill you? Yeah. We'll tell you in five hours. Yeah. <laughs> Knives are useful for cutting up food. <laughs> <laughs> but they can also be used. <laughs> <laughs> but don't put them in your back. <laughs> <laughs> They call it a gallon of water. <laughs> but experts warn that placing your head inside it for three to five minutes can cause serious harm. <laughs> this is just a slight exaggeration. <laughs> it's not too horrible. 
Um, not, so yeah, nutmeg contains myristicin, a natural compound that has mind-altering effects. According to reports this week, this is a while ago that the reports came through, from ABC affiliate WPLG in Miami, the Florida Poison Information Center at Jackson's Memorial Hospital has recently seen a small spike... A small spike, small they described spike. this, <laughs> in phone calls reporting people who snorted, smoked, or ate the spice. Um, oh god. Uh, this is a quote, not from the reporter, but from, by the way, this article is ten years old. It's from December 2010. Uh, so nine and a half years ago, the, they got a quotation from Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein, who is medical director at the center at Jackson Memorial Hospital, who said, and I quote, It's the flavor of the month! But most people only try it once because they have such nasty side effects. The result, the rewards are not worth the risks. But hugs not drugs. The flavor of the month. Yeah. Um, you- after thirty minutes to an hour after about thirty minutes to an hour after taking large doses of nutmeg, people usually have severe gastrointestinal reactions, including nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. But that's Ooh, just the beginning. Sign be- me up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the beginning. Hours into the high, people can suffer from heart and nerve problems as well. This is when people have to be really alert, says Gaylord Lopez, director of the Georgia Poison Center in Atlanta. A person who has an unrecognized heart ailment could have problems that could lead to irregular rhythms. One plus one could add up to nine very quickly. (laughs) What? What? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. You'll be so high that one plus one will equal nine, and then where will you be? (laughs) That's, That's how you know you're deep in the nutmeg high. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me, Josh. What's one plus one? <laughs> How many fingers we're holding them? <laughs> <laughs> Nine. All right, he needs to go to the hospital right now. <laughs> I think this should, shouldn't it, if we have to make up a street name for it, shouldn't it just be called Noggin? He was Noggin hard. <laughs> he was Noggin. Yeah, it's Noggin out. Well, you know where you can go, Matt, if you want to learn some less, uh, less, uh, I don't know, um, <laughs> what's the word? When Wrong. someone believes in conspir- well, uh, less uh, conspiratorial information about food, you can visit the Great Courses Plus. Is which is that is that a, a website that and app that collects hundreds, nay thousands, of lectures given by top experts in their field across the broadest range of subjects? That it is. We've talked a lot about their science and history lectures and offerings, and I've talked a lot about their guitar ones because those are great as well. Um, but there's one that actually sort of ties in with this that I just started watching called Cooking Through the Ages, which is a really cool. Every episode looks at um, different cultural norms of food and the story behind them and includes some recipes like there's an ancient Rome one cooking with apicius I'm not sure if that's the way you pronounce it imperial imperial China soybeans and dumplings um, feast like a viking with meat and beer you can learn to make a hunter style fish pie with animal bones and beer which was much safer than drinking water at the time so I'm I'm like you and I are having two very different reactions to this whole pandemic thing (laughs) because You're you're learning how to live from the la- live off the land, and I'm still working my way through the Great Courses Plus cognitive behavioral therapy course. To try also very less- useful. Yeah, to be try and be less of a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how is is your mental health suffering from from being stuck inside for three months straight? How could that be possible? It's it's not even the stuck inside. It's the fact that you know we we've talked in the past about I, and we've talked on the show recently about how uh, you know we both grew up with various obsessive compulsions, but as we found out from um the episode a while ago where we were talking about that with dr jane gregory that we don't we don't have ocd we have oc it's the the disorder part is once it starts to get to a level where it severely interferes with your life if it's not crippling it's just exactly it's just ritual and and many people have rituals and habits yeah (laughs) Um, but it's this this whole pandemic thing has kind of like kicked me over closer to the d part of it and you know uh, same, if, I can, if, if I can interject on this, I'm, I'm going to make everything about my fucking pain journey because that's how I am. I'm the center of the universe. But obsessive compulsive thinking is actually an element of it, which is really an interesting part of it. You know what I mean? Because when you're focused on it and you can't get your mind off it, you are reinforcing those neural pathways. Yeah. So uh, when I look back on my life and I look at like various parts of my existence, where I was like, oh, was that a, an antecedent to this? I totally had an obsessive compulsive uh, period of my adult life for like years where I was like trying to get out of, uh, you know, just trying to have these intrusive thoughts I was trying to get rid of. And, and ultimately I did get on the other side of it, but it was so interesting to find out that that was like kind of a hallmark of people who end up with it, this kind of psychogenic pain. It also um, seems like it's pretty correlated with comedians and, and people in, 
in comedy, but I, I mean, I guess I don't have a big enough sample size, but it seems like I've heard about it more from comics than from other people. It could also be that comics share their lives more than other people. So. I think that makes a lot of sense, though, because the type of mind that uh, you... I, I think humor is, you know, typically a, a soothing mechanism, right? You know, if you're laughing, you tend to not be worried or afraid. So mm-hmm. seeking that out seems like it would be the kind of person who tends to feel those things. Uh, by the way, it's really interesting you mentioned pain because I just looked this up thinking, I bet they have something. Uh, the Great Courses Plus does have the Mayo Clinic Guide to Pain Relief. And it's a ten lecture. I'm sorry, twelve lecture course all about pain. And it is talking about a lot of the things you were talking about. Like lecture one is why pain matters. Lecture two is what is pain. Lecture three is the common causes of chronic pain. And then there's a there's one about whether or not medication is the right thing and exercise and managing stress and the psychology of it. So yeah, it's it's remarkable how many different topics this this um, website app uh, organization covers. And uh, if you do want to sign up. Uh, and also help us out in the process. You can go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably, and you'll get a free trial as well. Yeah, and if we didn't mention, it's audio and video, and the video is very high production quality, and you can sort of shift between listening as if yep. it were a podcast in your car, and then you come can home listen on your walk or your watching. drive, yeah. and yeah, it'll pick back up again when you get home or on the TV app or on your laptop. That's so once cool. again thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Um, Check it out. Hey guys, while we're also talking about other useful things you can do from home, I seem to have... I thought I'd managed to block this out a while ago, but I, I they've come back around again now. I've started get a, getting a succession of texts that, you know, look spammy, but I want to, I always want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Right, Because right. it's a... It, the URL for this one is um, uof47w.com slash 1ad894... And some other letters and numbers. You, you oh, say that's that my homepage. You, yeah, I have a bookmark. Do you say that as if I don't? <laughs> oh yeah, we will go to uof47w.com. Um, Amazing that that was available. Yeah, but this one in particular, <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting, I've been getting multiple offers. This one is for what I presume is some kind of diet. It says forty pounds sixty days trusted by celebrities. I don't know whether that is to gain or lose 40, 50 pounds <laughs> in sixty days. Either one. Um, but. Whatever list I'm on uh, seems to think that my name is Norberto. Uh, <laughs> Wait, Norbert like, with uh, an O? Yes, Norbert with an O. Norberto, that name. It's like uh, Mitt Romney's all... Twitter alter ego, like, uh, Pierre Delecto or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Norberto. Yeah, so uh, if, if you want to join Norberto on his 50-pound gaining or losing <laughs> journey... Then I let like me know and I'll send you the you. URL. Yeah. I like to think that in an alternate reality, you are Norberto. <laughs> does Norberto have a mustache? I feel like he has a mustache. Doesn't he? <laughs> he does, but otherwise his face and head and hair is exactly mine. Yeah. Right. It's a very lazy alternate reality. <laughs> and that mustache does look very much like it was drawn on afterwards. But, you know, <laughs> that's that's just Norberto's way. <laughs> Norberto got a Norberto. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how it is. Um, um, Matt, I got, I've got a space story dialed up here from Justin Broad. If you want oh, to do, do it. Chuck it in. Which one are you going to do? Space is getting a little sexy because neutron stars are showing off their cores. Oh, it's, those slutty stars. And again, we want to stress that we mean that in the most sex positive way. The opposite <laughs> of slut shaming. It's, it's hot neutron summer here on Probably Science. <laughs> Um, so yeah, a combination of theoretical calculations and information from astronomical observations indicates that massive neutron stars can contain cores filled with free quarks. Free quarks! Wow. As many... All you can... If you sign all, up now, yeah. remember to use remember yeah. to use the offer code probably to get your free quarks. Wow. So if you dive into the interior of neutron stars, you'll find, guess what, neutrons. But it's not as simple as that. The deeper the dive, the fuzzier and denser the interior gets. Uh, this is an article on um, CERN's website. Uh, there's no shortage of theories as to what might make up the center of these cosmic objects. One hypothesis is that it's filled with free quarks, not confined inside neutrons. Another is that it's made of hyperons, particles that contain at least one quark of the strange type. Another still is that it consists of an exotic state of matter called a kaon condensate. In a paper just published in the journal Nature Physics, a quintet of researchers including Alexei Kurkula from CERN's theory department. By the way, I like that they call them a quintet of researchers, as if yeah. like, each one does physics at a different pitch. 
There's two <laughs> violins, I think, but um, aside from that, it's all different. Uh, so CERN's theory... Uh, physics, we, physics, <laughs> physics, physics. Um, this provides evidence that massive neutron stars can contain cores filled with free quarks. Such quark matter resembles the dense state of free quarks and gluons that is thought to have existed shortly after the Big Bang and can be recreated in particle colliders here on Earth, such as the Large Hadron Collider. To, re- to reach this evidence, uh, the researchers combine information from astronomical observations of neutron stars with theoretical calculations. While astronomical observations provide some information about the star's interior, they don't reveal their exact makeup. The theoretical calculations involve describing the state of matter inside a neutron star from the crust all the way down to the center. And to do this, the researchers used so-called equations of state, which relate the pressure of a state of matter to the energy density, obviously, uh, the, the amount of energy packed into a system or region of space per unit volume. The team then plugged two pieces of information from astronomical data into these calculations. The observation that neutron stars can have massive masses equivalent to two suns and the possible values of a property called tidal deformity for a neutron star with a mass of about 1.4 times that of the sun. I feel like we've lost everyone, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I like this next this next sentence because the the tidal def- tidal deformity describes the stiffness of a star in response to stresses caused by the gravitational pull of a companion star. So I I didn't know um I didn't know stars have stiffness have to them. Tides. Oh yeah, no, this star is so tense. Yeah. What, what have you been doing? <laughs> Whereas oh this God. is more of like a surface star. It just goes with the waves, man. It just like, yeah. hey, just tie it in, tie it out. You know, just see how it is. Yeah, man. My quarks are free. <laughs> I just let them go. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, so the tidal stiff, the, 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 the tidal deformability talks about the stiffness related to the gravitational pull of a companion star. And that was previously derived from observations of gravitational waves, which we've talked about, emitted by the merger of two neutron stars. So from this combination of theory and data, the researchers find that the cores of neutron stars with a mass 1.4 times that of the sun should be filled with neutrons. By contrast, more massive stars can contain large quark matter cores. For example, a two solar mass neutron star with a radius of about 12 kilometers. Damn, that is tiny to be as massive as Yeah, this is why these things are just basically neutrons, because... So you have something that is twice the mass of the sun and it has a radius of less than a small city. Yeah, that's insane. So yeah, that could have a quark matter core with a radius of about 6.5 kilometers, about half of the entire star's radius. Um, So Kirkula said, our analysis does not completely rule out the existence of massive stars with neutron cores, but it demonstrates that quark matter cores are not an exotic alternative. We can't wait to incorporate new neutron star data into our analysis and see how they will affect this conclusion. Can't wait. Yes. They can't wait. They're so excited. Trying to show off those cores. <laughs> it's getting hot out. Um, try, I'm trying to work out what city might have a 12-kilometer 12, a 12 radius. Which to is, get eight, an equi- eight, is that eight miles-ish? Valencia. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm guessing, is Manhattan eight miles long but not a circle? Yeah, it is. It's oh, is this about... radius or diameter? Is this radius? Radius. So, oh, so yeah, seven and a half. Just, just under, se- um, just over seven. Seven point four six miles uh, is the radius. So fifteen miles in diameter, a circle, yeah, a city. That's that's a, that's a pretty big. So that's a sizable city. That's actually yeah. a reasonable size to have the weight of two suns, or <laughs> yeah, the mass of two totally suns. Yeah. yeah, that's that. <laughs> that is. Um, yeah, no, that's still substantially, yeah, that, that's absurd. That's an absurd amount of matter to be crammed into. Absurd at twice the size, yeah. Um, I forgot, so neutron stars will eventually deform, will eventually become black holes? Is that true? No, I think, I think. Not all neutron stars are going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I think They all want to, but. I think it's the opposite. I think they will never become black holes. Um, oh, okay. I could be wrong about this, and our more physics-able listeners might want to correct me, but I'm, I'm fairly sure that it becomes a neutron star if it isn't sufficiently massive to become a black hole. Oh. Um, oh, yeah, because our sun is never, isn't on track to ever become one, and I'm guessing two solar masses wouldn't mean you're on track to become one, right? Um. Yeah, so here we go. It's um, if it is greater than three solar masses, it becomes a black hole. Okay. A neutron star has a mass above one point four solar masses, up to three solar masses. 
I've always said that. <laughs> and uh, a small anatomy becomes a white dwarf. Is that it feels like... <laughs> oh no, hang on! It's, it becomes a white dwarf in the process, but yeah, it, it doesn't become a black hole. But not a Disney copyrighted one. Not with a name that <laughs> right, right explains its emotional state or medical degree. <laughs> yeah, or or you know allergic reactions. To things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, uh, a lump of neutron star. If you had a if you had a, a cu- sugar cubed size of a uh, lump of neutron star, it would weigh as much as all of humanity. Ah, emotionally. I mean, all of humanity? Yeah, all of humanity. <laughs> wow. Even the bits of humanity we don't even know about yet. <laughs> even <laughs> the undiscovered bits of humanity. The, yeah, the people that live you know, below the Earth's surface. Or in, the, in Mariana's Trench, Mariana's Tribe, yeah. if you will. <laughs> yeah, the lost Mariana's Tribe. Yeah. Um, we, we should probably wrap this up. Um, but, uh, Dan, where can our listeners find out more about you and things you do? Uh, well, uh, let's see. I have a podcast of my own that I uh, started up with. Well, really, my friend Doug started it up, and he asked me if I wanted to do it. And honestly, in my kind of recovery, it was like, great, this will be a nice distraction. It's ended up being a lot of fun. It's called A Podcast But Evil. Um, <laughs> it is a podcast dedicated to discussing villains of various types. So we've done fictional ones like Dracula. We've done sort of classic mythic ones like Medusa. We've done real people like Al Capone and fun pop culture ones like Freddy Krueger. So every episode we look at a, a different villain and sort of break them down. Uh, it's called a podcast, but evil. And you can find us on Twitter at podcast, but evil. I, can I ask, what are the, I, I love this idea because there's so many movies that I think fail me because I don't believe the, the bad guy's intentions. I'm like, why would he want that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your favorite, like uh, motivation for someone to do bad in a, in a movie? Oh, well, start? you know, it's interesting. We always talk about the alignment of a villain, you know, the dungeons and dragons alignment. The you might be familiar the, with it. Yeah. Yeah. From being a, either a nerd or from the memes online, right. uh, so we're only interested in the evil side of the chart, right? So you got uh, lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil. And so if you're lawful evil, that means that you sort of use the system uh, to do your evil. You're doing it in in service of of the system, like Darth Vader or you know Hitler. A lot of villains tend to be the guys who also make the rules uh-huh. uh, when they're lawful evil. There's neutral evil, which is like you don't really care about any rules you're just in it for yourself most like criminals like al capone fall into that category um and then there's chaotic evil like you know the joker where evil is the reward you're sadistic you seek out doing harm and you get off on it and a lot of times villains end up being some sort of combination thereof uh my favorite (laughs) it's hard to say what my favorite motivation would be um i i guess i tend to, to like the 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 masterminds the cobra commanders and lex luthers of the world, <laughs> the guys who dream big and, yeah. and always fail. But um, do you imagine? I imagine like what is there? Like when someone in like a Marvel movie wants to destroy the universe or whatever. I'm like, then then what do you do? What's fun right. about that after it's right. destroyed? Like then what? Right. You know, it's like, almost as if they somewhere know inside of them that they're not going to succeed, yeah, so they don't right. need to think past that point. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. That's where they lose me. But that would be how you truly defeat them. You go like, fine, go, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> now, now what? Creation, yeah. <laughs> Did you have a summer house you're going to leave that's not destroyed to go enjoy your time now? Like, what's the... Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting because we were just talking about uh, dictators. And, you know, there's no real successful dictator. <laughs> Great point. It doesn't... It never really ends well, you know? Yeah. It's not like... They never retire and go like, well, I'm done dictating <laughs> and now I'm just going to live off uh, my successes. You know, they always die either like in exile or at their own hand or, you know... I guess, I guess you could never, maybe... It depends on how you define it, but you could you could you could make a case for Fidel Castro being both a dictator and successful. Maybe one of the more successful ones, probably because he didn't you know achieve the kind of cartoonish levels of of villainy maybe that some people got to. You know, we just did an episode on Idi Amin, um, who apparently uh, chopped off dicks. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. which I feel like is a line dictators. <laughs> unofficially say like we don't cross yeah. <laughs> it's, it's against the bro- it. against the dictator's bro code yeah it's like well if we said that was cool then we'd all do it <laughs> right that's all that's keeping us from doing it is that no one thinks it's cool yeah um, i'm no expert on fidel castro but that would be my guess it's like he's some another mistake that they make too is they tend to then eventually start spreading their aggression outside of their own borders and then that's when you know everyone says okay you can't do it anymore sorry you're a threat um so if you kind of restrict it to your own little country that you're effing up you can really make it last. 
lessons to learn future dictators listening <laughs> a great nope. tip. Aim, then, aim small aim small and then you're on twitter and uh instagram and the like oh i thought you were talking about dictators oh, yeah. <laughs> i can think of one on twitter um <laughs> i am yeah I, <laughs> I i'm on those things i'm not super social uh media active but if you want to find me on twitter and and you know be one of several a handful of people who like my jokes uh i guess i'm at dern erster because I want to, I want to be sort of uh, uh, anonymous. So D E R N E R S T E R. Dernerster. We'll do those. You can find us at Probably Science individually at Andy T Wood at Matt Kirshen. Uh, probablyscience.com is the website where you can find all the links and also our donation uh, and Patreon links. We really appreciate everyone who helps us out with those. Probablyscience at gmail.com is the email address if you have any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you would like us to cover. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. And listeners, see you soon.